Hey, Tourpreneurs, it's Mitch Bach. And just a quick note before we begin today's episode, Tourpreneur is currently sponsored by Google. We're thankful for their support of our community, and we are offering with them a completely free course helping you unlock the power and potential of Google's Things to Do program, which is specifically helping tour operators add their tours to Google in new ways that gives you new exposure and more direct bookings. To learn more, go to tourpreneur.com slash Google. And as always, show notes, more resources, links to our newsletter, our business coaching community, and so much more are available on tourpreneur.com. Now to the episode. It's nice to also just talk about it out loud to another industry professional, you know? Sometimes I feel like I'm going crazy at home by myself trying to work on this. Welcome to the Tour Operator Startup Series on the Tourpreneur Podcast. Travel industry veteran Nikki Padilla Rivera follows a tour operator startup on their journey from idea to execution to we don't know where. We hope it's to success. But you're going to have to listen in each month to find out. And now, welcome your host, Nikki Padilla Rivera. Hello, Tourpreneurs. We're back. I'm back with a new season of the Tour Operator Startup, which is very exciting. If you're new to this series on Tourpreneur, we basically follow tour operators who are just starting out, whether they've already launched or they're in the beginning stages. We talk about their wins, their challenges, all in real time. And this season, we're going to switch it up a little bit so that you're going to actually hear from multiple tour operators that we'll check in with in turn over time. So for this first episode, I'm going to introduce you to Simon from Chango Tours, which are sidecar motorcycle tours in Paris. That's right. We've gone real niche for this one, and it's amazing. Um, In this first episode, you're going to get to know Simon, find out how on earth he decided to start a motorcycle tour business during a global pandemic, learn all about the hoops he had to jump through, all the logistics and licenses that you need when you're starting up with not just any tour vehicle, but one that is so niche it's actually coming back into style apparently. Um, Who knew sidecars were a thing? But I get the impression that Simon likes a challenge and he's just done so much planning that I'm really, really excited to to continue to follow him as his season opens up. So in this episode, you're just going to get a taste of what he's about. And in the months ahead, we'll keep checking in with him to see how things are going. Any show notes, including links to Chango Tours, or if you're looking for earlier episodes of this series, you can just head to tourpreneur.com and enjoy. It's exciting to be back. Simon, so nice to meet you. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. Nikki, it's my pleasure. <laughs> Thanks for reaching out. Hey, so I have to say, we this season, we want to talk to um, a few more people who are starting up, starting something interesting. And I'd you know reach out to colleagues and people and I reach out to a colleague of mine, a uh, former colleague, Claudia, and said, you know, I'm looking for someone doing something really cool in Europe. And she gave me your website and I click on your website and it opens up and there is you. I want to say in a leather jacket, 
riding yes. a motorcycle with a sidecar. And that was very exciting. So I'd love for you to just kind of, with that image in mind for everyone listening, if you could kind of just give, introduce yourself, very brief history, how you ended up maybe even in travel, and then we'll kind of go from there. Okay. Um, well, hello, listeners. Uh, my name is Simon Burke, and um, I, I'm a French-American dual citizen. I've spent my life flip-flopping between Paris and the New York tri-state area. And I followed my heart back to Paris. Well, followed a girl. She's now my wife. So it was a good call. And um, I was originally certified to teach history. So I was looking for jobs in the international school system in Paris. I'm not certified to teach in the French system, but international schools would, would take me. And there weren't any vacancies, but I did see a vacancy for a tour guide position with fat tire tours. And so I, you know, just applied for it. And they, the guys looked at my resume and they said, oh, French, English, bilingual history teacher. Sure, you got the job. And within five days, uh, I decided that uh, I had made a giant mistake studying education <laughs> and I should have studied tourism. And so I, I've been in tourism ever since. That was, uh, that was 2008. And I haven't, I haven't looked back. I absolutely love the industry. Being a what tour guide of- was one of the coolest jobs I ever had. And, and, and then I spent a lot of time hiring and training tour guides. And I was almost as cool, if not cooler. <laughs> I, I mean, I love when uh, you know, tourpreneurs start out as tour guides. And I think a lot of that is inevitable, just sort of you're the only person, so you have to do the tour guiding. But I especially love when there was sort of this career in tour guiding first, because I think I think that's an ingredient that's missing for a lot of people. Being a tour guide is so hard. And if you haven't experienced that at length, um, I think it's really hard to later on, like communicate with your tour guides or to be able to actually pass your tours on mm-hmm. to tour guides. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm, are there really people that start tour companies who've never been tour guides? I think yeah. That would seem counterintuitive to me. I feel like the the whole point of starting a tour company is that you already, you know, the prerequisite should be that you you already have a love for tour guiding, you know, beating that pavement or, you know, bushwhacking through the forest, where, wherever your tours may be. But there there needs to be, you know, you have to have that in your in your guts of sorts. I don't know Wait, if that translates properly. I'm just curious. Now it's like tour guide to tour guide, but I'm just curious what what tours did you start out giving? Uh, I actually started out. It was uh, it was it was lucky. Fat Tire had a their Segway tour guide dropout. This was this is way back when it was, it was the tail end of the 2008 season. They needed one bicycle tour guide and one Segway tour guide. Their Segway tour guide dropped out, so I started on Segway. Okay, so thought, the the wheels was already a theme right from yes. the beginning of your career. There's a pattern. <laughs> yeah, and. And then, you know, as time went on, uh, picked up uh, the night bike tour, which was tons of fun. But I really liked the thematic tours. World War II and French Revolution were my two favorite walking tours. And then I would kind of pick and choose from those and use them to spice up the, you know, the general bike and Segway tours. I love that. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the history teacher really did come in handy, right? So, oh, yeah. Uh, very much so. All around. Um, and oh, okay, I'm going to save this for another episode, but I just also feel like it's really interesting that you're dual citizen because I talk a lot about sort of the value of the local guide and the value of the expat guide and how they both mm-hmm. bring something very special. And I've oh, yeah. never thought about the people who do both. Like you're sort of, that's like the ultimate. No, <laughs> you have both perspectives. Well, I think the, 
the the biggest i guess advantage is that we know what it's like to be an outsider no matter where we are there's mm-hmm. I, I you know I, I speak french fluently but there's still like i'm not as funny in french you know but then and i speak english fluently but sometimes i get brain farts and i flub my words you know like when i said earlier it's in your guts that's a very french expression so don't huh. keep and so I don't, I don't even know if that translates very well, but there's, you, you feel like you always have one foot out of, you know, uh, like out of the comfort zone, which, which then makes it helpful for, for guests who are visiting a city for the first time. It's very easy to empathize with them being foreign to that city. But then also as a local, you can still figure out all the kind of cool little things that only a local would know about, you know, from, from living there. No, it's fantastic. Understanding the culture a little bit. There's that. That's the one thing that I think an expat guide may, may not ever be able to get to is really understanding those subtle cultural nuances between that host culture and and wherever your guests are from. Mm-hmm. From from the inside, right? Like it's that mm-hmm. inside nuance perspective that really is. You can't teach it. You can explain it to someone, but you can't really understand it. Yeah, you have, you have to kind of grow up with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, even though I grew up in the States, my mother's French, my father's half French. Mm. So it was, you know, the, it, we spoke French at home and uh, there was English at school. So there, there are certain things and expressions and uh, uh, manners of being that, 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 yeah, you just have to grow up with, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that topic. Um, but for for the purpose of this podcast, I'm very curious, you know, fast forward through your career and now we we're experiencing a global pandemic and you think, you know what, I'm gonna start my own tour business. <laughs> Why don't you walk yeah. me through that? Yeah, I know. A lot of people thought I'm thought I had lost my marvels. <laughs> um <laughs> but well, so I had uh I I stayed with my previous employer until June 2021. So I had already experienced 2020, saw the degree to which the industry had suffered, but 2021 already saw a little bit of a comeback. Especially in France, right? Yes. Uh, I mean, we were really missing uh, many uh, Americans for a large part of the season, but Europeans were coming to Paris in droves. I I had never given so many tours to Swiss and Belgian um, uh, guests, which was, which was kind of cool. You know, I like their accents. Um, and, um, I had never given so many tours in French either because of those customers coming from the rest of France itself up to Paris and, uh, from, you know, the Benelux and switch and, and Switzerland. Um, and on top of that, I had also lived through the 2016 tourism crisis where the industry had tanked in Paris specifically by about 60%. Following the November uh, 2015 terrorist attacks, the Eiffel Tower had shut down for the two busiest months of the year because of the Euro Cup. I mean, it was the wettest spring since like 1909. It was just, it was like the season of plagues. It was, it was terrible. There was nothing but bad things happening. Um, so I knew very well that tourism would come back. And after 2020, 2021, I figured, okay, well, the timing is perfect because we're already seeing, you know, if you connect the dots, tourism is coming back slowly, but surely. So 2022 would be actually when considered, it'd be a great first season because that's when everybody's got the itch. Travel restrictions would hopefully, I mean, this is all, you know, a lot of hope, but there's also a lot of optimism 
2022 looked like it'd be a pretty solid season to, uh, to, to hit the ground running. So leaving my previous employer in July, I had all of August through now to make sure everything was set up. And there were, considering my activity, there's a very high barrier to entry. There are many hoops to jump through in terms of local compliance, uh, you know, getting, getting everything regulated for road use, myself becoming certified with an extra certification to be able to do this. Uh, the transport of people uh, with motorized vehicles in France is highly regulated. So there, there were quite a few things I needed to take care of. That's even, you know, before we even consider the tourism stuff that I need, like a website and a reservation system. So I had several months to put things together and I'm pretty much just in promo mode now. And I'm just itching to have customers now. Wow. So, so, so you sort of accurately anticipated how long it would take you to do all of, all of the legal stuff? Yeah, I had researched it months before I lost my job. Okay. I, I The painting was on the wall. So Okay, okay. Because, I, <laughs> I mean, that seems like pretty good luck, right? I would think, and and this is coming from someone who's not from Europe, you know, my, my impression of European systems in general, those hoops that you mentioned jumping through, that processes take a really long time. Um, so I would imagine there would be a fear that something would get held up or that it would take you too long, especially if you have this sort of goal of opening with the season in 2022. Yeah, 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 for sure. And I, there have been hiccups already uh, due to Brexit. The manufacturer of the sidecar uh, is is a little bit delayed. Um, it's only being shipped to me this weekend, and then it has to go through the hoops of getting uh, of, of of getting homologué is like a registered for legal road use. So there's a one month delay that I already have to deal with, but. The partnership, I don't like to say, you know, anything is impossible or, oh my God, it's an end of the world problem. There's, a, there's always a solution, which is distinctly American. It's very un-French. Most people that I've been dealing with here are surprised. And I don't think too flustered. <laughs> it's okay. On va trouver la solution. There's always a way. So they, uh, and this dealership that I'm working with, uh, they're, they're the one supplying the rig for me. They have a similar mentality. I very much lucked out in terms of finding these guys. They're Absolutely fantastic. Very nice to work with. And they have a demo rig that I've been using for promotional purposes. And when they called me and told me about the delay, they, you know, within the conversation, 10 minutes later, we decided, okay, well, I can use their demo rig for my customers while I'm still, if I get bookings before I get my own rig. Oh, that's fantastic. That's best case yeah. scenario. Of course. It limits my group size because I was hoping to have, you know, the one of their rigs and my rig to make groups of four. I can only take two people, uh, one in the basket and one behind me. But I actually, I'm glad you brought that up because I did want to ask about the motorcycle and maybe even jumping back. Why motorcycle? Sorry, I got ahead of myself. No, no. But I mean, presumably you already rode motorcycles. You were already interested in motorcycles. It wasn't like motorcycle tours would be really cool. Let me learn how to go ride a motorcycle and get a license. So clearly this is already there. Is that why was it for the gimmick of it was that you really feel there's this unique value in experiencing Paris by motorcycle. And I would imagine too, as someone who's never ridden a sidecar, that that's its own experience as well. Mm -hmm. Sort of mm -hmm. where did that come about? And at what stage was it always there? Uh, it was a bit, it's a, a 10 year long story, I guess. <laughs> I, 
I'll, I'll make it quick. So uh, a- after three years of being a tour guide with Fat Tire Tours, I I had left briefly uh, and wanted to start my own tour business after just three years of being a tour guide. My dad is the one who suggested you should do motorcycle tours because he had a buddy who was just renting bikes. And I thought, dad, that's crazy. I don't even have a motorcycle license. And my dad was so encouraging. He was like, listen, I'll pay for the license. Just just do it. Just try this out. So, you know, he, I, I went and I lived with my parents for two months and just full-time job was getting this motorcycle license. So I got it, uh, used my savings to buy my first bike and was acquainted with this guy who was just renting, didn't speak any English, didn't know anything about tourism. He just liked to rent motorcycles and started getting a little bit of traction. Uh, and then that's when Fat Tire called me and offered me a, a management job. And, you know, so I was, I was uh, perplexed and called my dad and he was like, hey, old company wants you back. That's a good position to be in. Don't worry about it. Just <laughs> go back if you want. So I, I did the motorcycle tour guide thing kind of as a hobby for several years while working full time uh, as the HR manager for Fat Tire. And were you and, just sort of doing, where were you getting customers? Were you just... Oh, like word of mouth, Facebook, you know, stuff like that. Um, the the guy renting bikes, you know, every time he had a customer who rented a bike and wanted a tour guide, he would call me, you know, stuff like that. So it was you know, a handful of tours per season, you know, all under the table. I mean, it was, yeah, I well, I, I didn't have a website or anything. It was really uh, just just a hobby. But there was and, an interest for it then, even at that point, which is interesting. Yes, yes, there was. The The majority of the, like there were exists motorcycle tour companies, but most of them are multi-day, multi-week excursions. The day tour didn't, didn't really exist until 2015 when my competitors opened Retro Tour and they do sidecar tours, hmm. uh, focusing more so on, on greater volume, shorter tours. Their, their rigs are different. Um, but when, when I saw that I was potentially going to lose my job because of COVID, that's when this idea came back to me once again. I thought, well, you know, I was applying to a bunch of HR positions, but if, if I'm not doing HR for tourism, I don't want to do it. Tour, it's just, it's, it's fun in tourism. It's not fun in a French company. So, so uh, the, the motorcycle tourism thing came back because I had always liked bikes ever since I first parked my butt on a motorcycle. After my dad pushed me to do it, I was like, holy, you know, holy moly, why haven't I been doing this for longer? It was so much fun. So I just decided, well, I love tourism. I love motorcycles. Let me see how I can put them together. And the idea about the sidecar came about because I wanted to open up the potential for guests that don't necessarily have a motorcycle license, right? If I'm taking people behind me on their own bikes, they all have to have a license, and a valid, you know, long enough license to be able to rent a bike in France. It was very, very niche. And I wanted to be able to, to just open it up to anybody, regardless of whether they have a license or not. And hence the sidecar. Are sidecars a thing? They're experiencing a resurgence. That's another contributing okay. factor to the delay from the manufacturer in the UK. There, it's It's like this, you know... I don't know, like there's just more and more hipsters out there that just love all things retro and sidecars are pretty retro, you know? So on top of it, in a city, they're, they're still small enough. They turn on a dime. 
they're not nearly as cumbersome as a, as a car. So, and for passengers, well, first of all, for the driver, they're oodles of fun to, to ride. They're, they're really weird in particular. You get used to it in 30 minutes and then it's just, it's just tons of fun. And the fact that you can take two people with you and share the experience makes it all the more exciting for the, for the chauffeur, for the pilot or driver, rider, whatever you want to call them. Riding in the basket uh, is, is so incredibly weird and, and fun because if the driver's goofy enough, he'll, he'll, you know, do a little thing with the handlebars and lift the basket. Oh, off no. Ground. That's tons of fun. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the biggest draw to riding on, uh, on the back of a motorcycle or in the sidecar is that you have everything, you're fully exposed to, to everything. There's no window mm-hmm. filtering uh, what, you, what you're seeing and, and yourself, between what you're seeing and yourself. Um, and, you know, you can get that from riding a bicycle as well or independently riding a motorcycle, but then you have to concentrate on the actual piece of equipment you're manipulating. If you're on the back of a motorcycle or in the sidecar, you're, you know, you're free to take in the sights without any uh, concern about manipulating a piece of equipment and making sure you don't crash into whoever's in front of you or, you know, watch out for people coming at you from, from sides. I mean, Paris is a busy city, so... It's 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 a it's quite particular in that you get a little bit of you know the positive in terms of exposure of riding a bicycle, but the positive of being a passenger in a car or something you know minus that filter. That's really interesting, actually, as you're saying this, because I my first thought too is that Paris is such a walking city, right? Like part of the fun of Paris is walking around, wandering through the the lanes. But hearing you talk about this, it, it makes me think of of New York City, where I'm from. And it's the same, right? New York City is a walking city. That being said, because we walk everywhere here, locals anyway, when you are in a car, besides, I mean, driving, forget it. It's a very stressful um, and unpleasant experience. But being a passenger in a car as someone personally who doesn't take taxis everywhere, it is a really unique experience. You get to really it's a very voyeuristic experience. You could really mm-hmm. stare out the window. You could look at people. You could look up at buildings. And it's very, very different from walking. So I, I am now sort of picturing Paris you know, on the back of a bike. I, I can't picture myself in a sidecar at the moment, but at the back of the bike, looking around, how cool to have the best of both worlds, as you say. Mm-hmm. Like you're on the bike, you're out, you're in the city because there's not that barrier that a car would have, but mm-hmm. you're not in charge of anything. So it's still very passive. Yeah. And because you're covering uh, more distance with greater speed, right? I mean, walking is fantastic. I, I, I walk all over the place and you can really pick up a lot of the details of wherever you are when you're walking. But the, the quicker you move through the city, it's like your, 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 your vision kind of just ends up being drawn out and you get a more general, I don't know, like smell of the city, a more general feel of it. Because you're now assimilating so much more sensory input over uh, a a smaller period of time. So you get this, I don't know how to describe it properly, but, you know, like there's a flow to the city, Mm. a a fluidity and a rhythm that you get when you try to move through it quickly that maybe you don't as much when when you're walking. That's really cool. That's really, really cool. Yeah, it does. And I mean, now that we're on... 
I'll, I promise all listeners, I'll get to logistics stuff, which I know everyone loves. But now that we're talking about experience still, I'm very curious, you know, a, a driver guide, quote unquote, is a very specific image, right? In the travel industry picture, I don't know, the, the guide who's doing a multi-day overland trip and they're driving the little bus and they're talking or you're picturing in a in a city, I don't know, like DC, where they're sort of talking out the cart and pointing at things. Theoretically, this will be led by driver guides, mm-hmm. but how... How does that look like to you? How is it going to be set up? How is the information going to be attached to the bike and the experience? Can you walk me through that a little bit? Does that, what, did you ask me if that freaks me out a little bit? No, no. Can you walk me through it a little oh, bit? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, for, with, with pleasure. So, <laughs> um, so, yes, the driver guide, you, immediately you get that image of, you know, bus driver, tour guide type person with, you know, 20 people that they're catering to remember I'm only, I mean, what there's going to be one driver per two guests. So the ratio is so tiny that it's more so it evokes, I mean, in my mind, anyways, it evokes the image of like, you know, the, I don't want to use the term aristocratic, but like think of Downton Abbey. You remember the Irish driver in Downton Abbey? Yes. You know, I mean, the, <laughs> the, they're, they they cater to very few individuals, but they make sure all needs are met. And you know they they know each other very well. There's a trust built, um, the, and there there's no room to for the guest anyways to be lost amongst the crowd. You know, so it's it be, it's more so a very private chauffeur guiding experience. It's like a micro private tour because of the nature of the of the machine. Um, on top of it. The person behind me, you know, they're they're right there. Uh, if I don't know if you follow my Instagram account, it's linked to my website, so you should be able to see a lot of the pictures there. But when I do bring some some people on for promotional reasons, you can see their faces are right here. The person in the basket is right there. It's an it's a close quarters experience, and so uh, building out a, a story over the course of a tour with two people that are in such proximity. Is, is actually very easy. It's like hanging out with a couple good friends. Mm. Um, and the helmets, I haven't decided yet whether to go the Bluetooth route or not. Mm. Was the few tests that I've done uh, with people, as long as we're not moving at speed, they can hear me just fine without Bluetooth. And it's an expensive add-on, you know, considering startup costs. Uh, I, I may o- omit Bluetooth for now and eventually later, but Stopped in traffic or stopped at in front of monuments. Discussion is is very very easy. Okay, so there's there doesn't necessarily need to be this break between driving and content. No, not too much. I mean, if I'm navigating some some heavy traffic that's moving along, then you know that's a good opportunity also for them to take some pictures and not you know, listen to me, you know, blah blah blah. Um, no matter how good the tour guide is, sometimes it's nice to have a break and let your ears rest a little bit. So I strongly agree with that. (laughs) Right. So there, there will be natural breaks uh, and it's going to, it will depend on the guests as well. If they're total chatterboxes, then yes, I can easily discuss while, uh, while piloting the rig. If, if they're very quiet and they prefer having a more serene experience, then it's totally fine as well. The, 
the nicest thing about, I mean, when I was a tour guide uh, with Fat Tire, I loved small groups because you could, you can get into discussion more, you can cater to them a little bit more, you know, uh, make adjustments. During the wintertime, if I had only two people, I would just ask them, where do you guys want to go? You know, I often broke from the standard route. We never had scripts, thankfully, but we did have standard routes and I loved breaking out of them and, and just, you know, uh, catering to the whims of, of my guests. So this is really, it's a private tour experience yeah. just by the nature of the limitation yes. of the group size. Mm-hmm. And I, Oh, I have so many questions. Okay, one more on I the bike. <laughs> Do will there be any stopping in the tour? Yes, get off the bike and okay, so that is built into it as well. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's correct. the The, the duration of the tours, um, especially compared to my competitors, they're they're they're, they're a bit longer. I, I do want to, you know, bring storytelling and 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 appropriate historical content and anecdotes to the tour. Because, well, I'm, you know, I was a tour guide for three years and, and a trained history teacher. I like that stuff. And I find it interesting. And it brings, it's like, the, you know, the special sauce of the city. It brings it to life. Um, and, um, and on top of it, it makes for cool picture opportunities uh, and opportunity to swap seats as well. Because the experience in the sidecar is a little different to the back of the bike. So, you know. Uh, spending the whole tour sitting in the sidecar, you you may want to, you know, may start shifting your seat. So for for the sake of comfort, for the sake of variety uh, and, and, you know, for the sake of conviviality, yes, stops are most definitely uh, part of the tours. And how long is, are the tours? So I have three standard, standard tours that, that I've created one. uh, The shortest one is two hours long. That's like the, you know, iconic monuments tour, Eiffel Tower to the Louvre and Arc de Triomphe and, and, and that stuff, you know, kind of like the postcard tour. Uh, my, my real passion project is the, the middle ground tours, three and a half hours long. I call it vice and violence because that's the unifying thread in the roots. We do Latin Quarter through the Marais up to Montmartre. Uh, so it's not a loop, that one. Um, but because it's a private tour, I can then do hotel drop-off when we're done at the top of Montmartre. Uh, and so I use the, the, that theme of vice and violence to connect the histories of the Latin Quarter and the Marais and Montmartre because you know they have distinct histories, those neighborhoods. But one of the big unifying threads is both vice and violence. Mm. So you know we talk about sieges and riots and revolution, the history of prostitution in Paris, alcohol abuse. I mean, it all kind of comes together in this really weird package. Um, And um, uh, drinks are included on that tour. Either stop at a cafe or, you know, I can, when the weather's nice, then I'll be, I'll be bringing some wine with me to, to open for our guests or for my guests, I should say. And then the longest tour, um, that I have regularly scheduled is uh, Versailles. That's a full day. So departing from Paris, it's about a half hour drive uh, to the Chateau. And we'll, uh, I get passport tickets uh, that give us a timed entry for the Chateau. Uh, and we also are able to then go into the, the big tree on the small tree on the Queen's Hamlet. We also stop at the market for lunch. It was a very, uh, very popular bicycle tour uh, with fat tire. 
and I had done it a bunch of times. And I mean, it's it's very doable by sidecar as well. This, the, the, the only way to get out to Versailles and experience it is by RER, by public transport, uh, or hiring a car or taking a bus, getting out there by sidecar uh, on surface roads through some of the woods that extend between Paris and Versailles is kind of fun. Wow. Oh, yeah. It, it makes the transport part part of the experience then. Yes, exactly. And then navigating between the chateau and the Trianons and the market where we get our, our lunch or the restaurant in case of, of inclement weather uh, is all taken care of by sidecar. That's also an all-inclusive tour. So, uh, you know, it's relatively expensive and I don't want guests having to pull their wallet out after having paid for the tour. So, uh, so the lunch is included in the tour. The tickets are all included in the tour. It's a, it's a, a full package. Oh, that sounds so lovely. How, my other big question that keeps floating around, how many um, guides are sort of qualified for this type of tour? I mean, you're looking specifically for guides who have motorcycle licenses or are you finding people in the motorcycle world? I mean, in Paris, it is licensed, correct? So there's quite a process to become a tour guide. Uh, it depends on what kind of tour guiding you're doing. Okay. So if if you want to speak inside specific monuments like the Chateau at Versailles, the Louvre, you need something called something called la droit de parole, the, the the right to speak. And that is accorded with a conference guide license, which you can either obtain through a two-year program or through equivalency. If you have been tour guiding out and about, you know, like exterior tour guides or the Eiffel Tower. You don't need the droit de parole to work in the Eiffel Tower as a tour guide uh, or to give tours in the Eiffel Tower. Um, and, you know, bicycle tour guiding doesn't require any kind of license. Um, so that, that that's one of the things I want to tick off my box so that when we go into the Versailles Chateau, rather than everyone have an audio guide, I could then take over some of the speaking myself. You hear a lot about Arrival on this podcast. It's the conference designed for entrepreneurs just like you. The Arrival conference features so many practical sessions to help operators with direct bookings, digital marketing, tour and experience design, business operations, and so much more. You'll also get to connect with great people from OTAs, technology companies, marketing experts, and get inspired to grow your business in the year ahead. What we love most about Arrival is seeing operators and entrepreneurs, large and small, meeting each other and building new friendships and partnerships, seeing them share their stories and their learnings. This is what makes Arrival so special. So why not join Shane and many other entrepreneurs in Las Vegas, October 10 to 13 at Arrival, the event where operators, attractions, and experienced creators learn, connect, and grow. Find out more at www.arrival.travel. So you will need, if you're doing, let's say, the, the four guests, right, and the two motorcycles, would then you would serve as the guide for all four. You wouldn't have to worry about a second. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. I would I would be the tour because finding someone with a, a French motorcycle license, but who also speaks English fluently uh, is a little tricky. So, uh, but besides, there, there's no there's no need at this point to find that type of person. I just need someone with a motorcycle license who will be following me and acting just as uh, an extra chauffeur. Uh, furthermore, there's, there is another type of, uh, license required 
It's called the Caf Professionnel VMDTR. I just got it in the, in the mail mm -hmm. a few days ago. Um, and that legally allows me to transport people for profit. So as long as people are paying me and my company for it and I am the holder, it's all kosher. Nobody is paying the other driver. So uh, the I, so they won't uh, need that. They won't need that. The other driver is, is just is it's going to be an invoice agreement between me and the other driver. So the, 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 the client revenue is going towards me and the company. And then the, the driver just invoices me for services rendered. Okay. So what happens if you get sick? Well, you hold thankfully all I don't get sick licenses. very often. <laughs> Uh, or just, what is you know. what is the future plan? I guess I should ask. Let's say the bookings are like crazy, you know, and you have tons of bookings, and you now even have multiple at the same time. Just for in, scale. in that case, then in that case, then yes, I need to find other people that have the the VMDTR card. Uh, I'm lucky in that the so I was because it, it, it there's a bit of a training process, and then a written exam and a practical exam to get this. Uh, this professional chauffeur card for for motorcycles and and sidecars. The uh, the guy who trained me, uh, he represents the Ministry of Transport with something else called the Chambre des Métiers et de l'Artisanat. So there's I'm not going to bore you with the 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 the, the, the machinations and how the, the the French structure is 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 uh, built, but. He knows all of the motorcycle taxi drivers in Paris because he trains almost everybody. Uh, and he's already told me, if you, if you start looking for other drivers, if you need a licensed driver, you ask me first. And then he's going to give me a whole, like, I'll have access to essentially a, 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 like a, a resume library. And then I can pour through and start interviewing people. Because if you, especially if you don't need someone who has the license to guide inside of a building, you can train guides, presumably, because that was part of your career as well. Mm -hmm. So that'll mm -hmm. be the easier, probably, part to supplement. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That'll, that'll be fun to do again. So, yeah, yeah. Finding, uh, finding a guide to the, 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 the speech aspect of the guiding, the, the actual kind of tour guide role, I'm not, I'm not concerned with uh very much at all the but if if someone else had has to lead a group and be a holder of this card i mean i was the only one that was starting a, a tourism business everybody else was doing this to be a motorcycle taxi driver mm. you do like airport pickup and stuff so they're all very local uh and few speak english so that that is uh, that that is going to be one of my biggest challenges, most definitely. If I get sick because of how regulated this activity is, uh, I have to have a very specific insurance policy, and it would be terrible to cancel on my guests. But the insurance policy is so robust that they maintain my salary while I'm sick. Wow. As you know, some from the U.S., this is very hard for me to understand. <laughs> so you can basically get a, a paid sick day. Yes. Because of the chauffeur license. Yes, exactly. That's the Yeah. If I didn't have this this chauffeur card, I could not get that insurance, which is specific to 
motorcycle, taxi driving, motorcycle chauffeuring. Um, and, and I wouldn't be able to benefit from that type of insurance. It's expensive, but, uh, it's, it's very robust. And does it cover you for weather as well? Cause again, you know, walking tour can run in the rain, not ideal, but it can, could, could your tours run in the rain? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I act already as a first windscreen to the person behind me. Uh, and the sidecar has a little, a little bit of a windscreen in front of it. So as we, as we move, uh, I I've done it before. I don't know if you know Oliver G from the earful tower podcast. I, I helped him with the delivery of some books that he had written and we went out. I mean, it was pouring rain and, you know, we used the sidecar and he was, he was barely wet. So it's, uh, it's not so bad, uh, in, in the rain. Plus I would provide rain gear, you know, rain pants and a rain jacket over, over the guests, uh, clothes. Okay. So yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't cancel a tour just because it's raining. I would cancel a tour if you know, the roads are freezing, if it's, you know, I mean, it's it, it still has three wheels, so a slide is not detrimental to the tour. It'll be a little hair raising. Depends on how adventurous the guests are. Right, could be a plus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Our friend Chris Torres over at the Tourism Marketing Agency has just launched a series of five-minute workshops designed to help you make small changes but make big positive impacts in your tour business. Chris will cover such topics as email marketing, video creation, sales processes, review building, and much, much more. This free 10-week series will be available on his Digital Tourism Show Facebook group, YouTube channel, and all good podcasts. Just search The Digital Tourism Show for details. I'm curious how it works in terms of your pricing, because you are limited by how many people you can take. Um, You have these costs year round between insurance and the licenses and the startup costs and the maintenance. And presumably you have to put the motorcycles and sidecars somewhere. Um, I'm assuming that evens out because you've you've gone this far and you're you're continuing to go further. But is that is that something that it's a very heavy startup cost? And then you know sort of how well you need to do this season or next season to to balance it out. So um I mean most listeners are American, correct? Uh it's pretty split. European, American, Australian, I believe, are the okay. biggest buckets. All right. Well, there because there there's some some finer aspects of French labor law, uh, because I had spent so long with the previous employer uh, as a manager, my severance and my unemployment means I don't have to concern myself with paying my own salary for two years, which is awesome. Uh, a chunk of that also went into financing the first sidecar. The total startup costs... With the sidecar, the garage space, um, the insurance for the first year was uh, just under 40,000 euros. That's just with one rig. Right. There are legal fees to get it set up. Um, so, I mean, but that, that's why I, I used uh, a sizable chunk of my severance. I started a crowdfunding campaign as well, some of my own savings. Uh, my grandparents grew up with sidecars, and so they also pitched in 
to help with the site with the the startup costs. Wow! Um, so that that was very cool. Um, well, my my living there were sidecars on both sides of my family, uh, but the, my my living uh, grandmother, her father rode a BSA 500 with a British sidecar, and she has fond memories of that. So, so yeah, when when she learned that I was that I was doing this, she uh, she pitched in a little bit of extra change as well, and there were other cost cutting measures that I took as well. One of my cousins is a web developer. So my website, you know, relatively speaking, cost peanuts. Um, and uh, the dealership that I approached them because they started, they put on their website, these sidecars for sale. So I, you know, played, played dumb and asked if I could, you know, test one out or, you know, come meet you guys and see what the rig looks like in person. And after hanging out with the, the director of sales for the sidecars and going for a spin and everything, I, I let him know that I was considering starting a, uh, a sidecar tour business. And his mind just was blown. He was like, that is the greatest idea I've ever heard because he wants to build the sales of these rigs. So if I have a couple of them and I'm running around town and nobody else has these types of sidecars, this one dealership has the monopoly on them for the time being. So he immediately saw the potential in, in me using his sidecars. So I kind of negotiated with them that maintenance costs would be on them. So I'll, I'm paying full price for the rig but they are going to cover all maintenance, all maintenance costs uh, year round. Wow. You know, I told you they were awesome. Yeah. Well, and to say that to give you credit, you know, to say that you're a guy with a plan is, is an understatement. Um, this is obviously very well thought out all the way through. And, and it, it makes me think of last season um, with she shapes history, who we spoke with, they were, they had very, very niche tours, very, very niche topic. And it was interesting in that they actually were able to get a lot more resources because of that niche, because people were excited when they mm -hmm. came in. They were excited about the idea. They 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 wanted to be a part of it. They sort of is a very positive thing. I think when you're doing, you know, just another walking tour, that it's much harder to get access to these resources and deals. But when you have something that is very unique, yes, it's a niche and there's going to be more of a niche market. But I think that's a huge trade-off is that working with people, getting promotions, getting partnerships, mm -hmm. is going to be a lot more easier if it's something that's new and exciting. The responses I get, the, the replies and reactions that I get from people in the industry and people I talk to about this are all overwhelmingly positive. Um, and I also I have a friend who's a photographer, uh, Lindsay Kent at uh, Pick Tours Paris. She's the one who snapped the. I don't know if you saw on the website. There's a picture of me flying the basket yes. across the Alexander the Third Bridge. That sticks she out. Snapped that picture for me. That picture has ended up in French motorcycle magazines. And it's gotten so much uh, positive, uh, so many positive reactions. Just like that's the coolest picture I've ever seen. So yeah, the 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 nicheness and the 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 quirkiness of the sidecar definitely makes it easy to pitch because it's not like you said, just another walking tour. The barrier to entry is also incredibly high because of the requirement of these different licenses and understanding local compliance to be able to do this. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, there's only been one competitor on the market since 2015 and, uh, I actually met with them, uh, last week. Sorry, I'm going off on a mini tangent. 
No, no, that's really about, interesting. You, you were talking about prices earlier. They they admitted to me that they had to hike their prices uh, as well. Well, not as well. I haven't hiked my prices. I made them and and they're 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 stationary for now. But they have brought their prices up closer to mine. Mine my tours were priced uh, higher than theirs. I mean, they have multiple sidecars. There are three people working together, and then a bunch of freelancer drivers, uh, so they can do volume. Uh, and 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 not require their tours to be profitable as from the first person. Um, but uh, because of uh, because of everything that's happened during COVID, uh, they they also had to increase their prices. Insurance is going up, and 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 so they're they're closer to me now. But I'm still priced higher. But I bring more value, in my opinion. I speak English first of all, and uh, I'm a trained tour guide. That's um, I, I love to hear when tour operators are talking to each other, because I think even as direct competitors, there's, you know, especially if you're the two sole sidecar tour operators in Paris, it's sort of nice to have someone in the same boat, I would imagine. Yeah, for sure. They were, I was pretty nervous going into that meeting because uh, I had been following them for quite some time. Um, but they're nice guys. They, they were easy to talk to and they had a, a, a very open mentality, a more collaborative mindset rather than putting barriers up and saying, oh, you know, what, what does this guy think he's doing treading on our turf? No, they were, they were very uh, welcoming. That's great. Which was, uh, which was very cool. I think, I mean, that must mean they're taking me seriously. Yeah. Also. <laughs> so I, I feel like I there's we could obviously go into logistics and and I have a whole list of questions that I promise I'll get to next episode of, you know, the website and the booking software and all of that fun stuff that is super, super relevant. But but just in interest of time, I guess I'm curious. I just kind of want to know where you're at right now so that when we check in with you again, um, we have some sense of time. So when when are you planning on opening your site is live tours are bookable. When, uh, when as of tour? the first of March, my tours are open. Oh, wait, so someone could book for March 1st. Yes. Yeah, wow. they could. And then I'd be using the dealership's demo rig to give that tour. They, uh, I think I had mentioned, uh, right. That, you know, with the delay from the British manufacturer for the sidecar, they were like, use our rig. It'll be totally fine. So, and so two weeks from now, do you have any bookings? I do not, not yet. Oh, uh, somebody who contributed to my crowdfunding campaign, they, uh, they, they have a Versailles tour as a reward. So that's booked for the 21st of May. Um, and then uh, we'll probably get into this in more detail, but uh, I'm building partnerships with other you know, travel agents and stuff. So there, there are many, many inquiries okay. going on right now. Um, but you know, because it's, it's COVID and also I'm a very new operator on the market. Lots of questions, lots of curiosity, but uh, I'm not expecting really any serious bookings for another another month or so. Are you going to be doing many test tours? Uh, I mean, I've already I've already done several test tours. What I really want to focus on now is offering free tours to people who are in the in the industry or have you know uh, parallel uh, businesses where it would be mutually beneficial to collaborate. You know, I met earlier this morning with Jane Birch from La Cuisine Paris. Um, and, uh, you know, she would love to come into and, and take a tour with me. So I'm using those promotional opportunities to 
continue to do dry runs of of my my tour routes. No, that's I great. I just done that on Saturday. Uh, did the Vice and Violence A to Z timing was great. Route was great. So that tour, in in my mind, is done and dusted. There's there's no no more adjustment needs to be done to that. Same deal with Versailles. I've done that. Uh, I'd like to do it another one or two times. Um, and the Monuments tour, I'll uh, I'll need to run through that another one or two times to really feel happy with with it. You know, just sanding out the sanding out the little burrs and, and nicks and stuff. Yeah, but I mean, how how great that you're at this point. I mean, I. I- I talked to quite a few operators who are, you know, opening in two weeks or already have bookings on the calendar and they don't feel quite as confident that they're at the stage of polishing. So I think you're in a great place. It sounds like. (laughs) Thanks. I, uh, I, I mean, I had the time to do it. No, no, it's the setup's great. The setup's great. I am. Okay. So if I, if I could only ask one more question, and I haven't necessarily been saving this to the end, but this is kind of a nice wrap up. Could you explain the name of your tour company Excellent. where that comes from? I was hoping you were going to ask that because I often forget to specify where it comes from. Um, uh, Chango is how it's pronounced or Chongo in French or Chango in, in Spanish. It's a Basque word. Uh, do you, are you familiar with the Basque region yes well because it has the same um same starting as chach and i know that very well from G-X-O-T-X. So, yeah right yeah chach. yeah <laughs> awesome um so chango means excursion uh simply put uh there, there, there's a few other meanings uh it could mean leisurely outing or you know travel by unconventional means uh but the, the most broadly uh, accepted Translation is excursion. And I got married in the Basque region. I got my motorcycle license in the Basque region. One okay. of my brothers was born there. So And, like, and to have... clarify, just realizing too, to be nice to everyone, the Basque region is sort of this, this cultural region that spans across France and Spain. Yes, and southwestern has different France language. and northeastern Spain on the Atlantic coast, like in the Bay of Biscay. It overlaps the Pyrenees Mountains. Um, it's really interesting. I mean, I could we could go off on a tangent about the Basque country for for ages. I mean, it's been it's older than the Roman Empire. It's been around for ages. Um, and so you have this connection, all these small connections, I should say, to this region. Mm-hmm. And originally, that's where I wanted to do this because I knew that there was already a, you know someone doing it in Paris. And so I thought, well, you know, I mean, we my my wife and kids and I we all spent all of the confinements, all the quarantines, we did them down there because my, my parents live there too. So, uh, you know, there's more space. We didn't want to be stuck in a Parisian apartment during quarantine. So we would go down and, and spend, uh, spend the quarantines with family. And every time we went back up to Paris, I mean, the weather's better down there. The people are nicer. The food is better. <laughs> the scenery is better. There's mountains and ocean. It's awesome. And we were considering, we even visited houses. We were considering moving. So originally I was planning on on starting sidecar tours in the Basque region. But then, you know, talking to my wife, she is the voice of reason. Um, the, I have more of a professional network in Paris, and which, you know, is impossible to argue with. I mean, it's my, my whole tourism career was based out of Paris. Um, the season is longer in Paris. Travel is going to return faster in Paris than anywhere else in France. And our kids are very happy in their current school. So, you know, why uproot them? And so... 
you know, thought about it a bit and decided to to do it up here. And so you just brought a little bit of Basque into the tour, just through the name. Yes. Yeah. I was going to adjust the name to make it more Parisian, but speaking to my my graphic designer friend, she was like, when she heard the original name, she's like, oh man, that Chango is so much cooler. She's like, nobody's going to know how to pronounce it. Nobody's going to know what it means, but that's kind of the charm. So, so I decided to stick with it. <laughs> Love it. As good as reason as any, right? Yeah. Um, this, this was so great. I'm so excited about these tours. As I said, from oh, thanks, first Nikki. seeing you in the leather jacket and the motorcycle, now hearing more about it. I mean, it, it really sounds, I'll be very honest. You know, I started, I thought, oh, a very gimmicky tour. You could probably go around on the motorcycle and not have to talk much content, but it's so fantastic that you do come from this content, strong storytelling, strong background and to combine it with this really interesting way to experience a city it just sounds fantastic. So I'm very, very excited to keep checking in with you throughout the season. And I mean, I wish you the best of luck in all the bookings coming up. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's I, so appreciated. Well, and so we'll, we'll check back in if you're willing Excellent. to chat again. Oh, heck yeah. Cool. Yeah, I can't wait. This is a ton of fun. Amazing. It's nice to also just talk about it out loud to another industry professional, you know? Sometimes I feel like I'm going crazy at home by myself trying to work on this. I know the feeling. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Torpreneur podcast. Be sure to visit torpreneur.com to join the conversation and access the show notes, including links to the resources mentioned on today's episode. This is Torpreneur.